Good morning, Fairhill Church. So if kids want to head to Reach Kids, they're the, the, the kids lesson, they can do that now. All right. Off we go. Here we are. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, it's an exciting time. We are starting a brand new series today uh, in the book of Mark. In the book of Mark. Uh, all right. A gospel. Uh, we are looking at Jesus. This is good stuff. All right. Uh, so... Uh, why Mark? We're looking at Mark uh, because it's, I think, focused on following Jesus and knowing him. That's what, that's what our, uh, our sermon is titled this uh, kind of this whole series. It's going to be a while. All right, buckle down. We're, we're, we're in Mark. All right, there's a lot of chapters in Mark. We're going to do it. Uh, we're walking through Mark uh, seeking how we might follow the king, to follow the king. The, the book of Mark, it's maybe less thematic. It's really looking at, okay, the disciples who are following Jesus, how are they interpreting what Jesus is doing? How are they understanding him? What questions are they asking? And as they come to know more about Jesus, uh, what does it look like to, to walk in those same footsteps? That's what we're talking about in this series. And so... Uh, This first week is a little bit unusual in the book of Mark because it's kind of a sneak peek. All right. The rest of Mark is all public, his public ministry, Jesus going out and talking to the people. But right beforehand, we see him preparing uh, himself for this this ministry. And we have a privilege in that we get to see uh, the work of Jesus and understand the work of Jesus a little bit better because we get this kind of preview. We're ultimately going to see that Jesus Christ, he identifies with us as sinners. He relates to us personally, and that then embodies the whole rest of the gospel. That he comes not to demand from us, but to give himself over to sinners and to to draw us into following him by mercy and by grace. So let's look at Mark 1, verses 1 through 13. And let's see how Jesus kind of vicariously lives for us and enters into our sin. We're looking at Mark, verses 1 through 13 of chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptizing by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. 
The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in him and that you have revealed him in your word. Father, we thank you that of all the ways that Jesus could come, he came being baptized and being tempted. Father, we do not deserve such a savior, such a king. You could demand far more of us and give far less, but Father, you are uh, you pour out grace and mercy upon us. And Father, you give far more than you ever ask. And Father, you give things that we could, uh, could never earn ourselves. So Father, would you remind us of the gospel? Would you remind us of the work of Jesus? Would you remind us of all that Jesus Christ has done that we may have freedom to enjoy uh, you through that gospel? Would you fill us with your spirit now that we may know and understand your word? We pray in Christ's name. All right, so uh, we're going to see that uh, Mark is fast, all right? It's not belaboring any points, uh, it's moving quickly. Some of, these, some of the other Gospels, they, to get to this point, takes uh, two, three, four chapters, and yet here we are, uh, dropped right into it. And we start with the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, just so we're all on the same page, uh, when, when Mark said that, that he's, this is the beginning of the gospel, he wasn't thinking that he was writing the first of the four gospels, that he was thinking in a genre that, oh yeah, I'm going to write this thing that is going to be referred to as a book. No. All right, the gospel, the gospel was a term in and of itself, means good news. All right, this is, when there's a headline that's posted in the newspaper, it's either good news or bad news. Most of the time it's bad news. But, if posted, then tomorrow morning it says COVID is over. Uh, good news. Gospel. All right, right, we'd all rejoice. Good news, finally. That's what we're talking about when we say gospel. It's something that happened in history, and it happened in history through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is good news related to Jesus Christ. Now, he's given away a little bit of the ending in saying that he's the Son of God. Uh, we get the privilege of knowing that many don't get that privilege. They have to deal with the, the absurdity and the, the unbelievable character of Jesus before they get to know that he's God. Uh, but we do get this privileged position. And yet, as it is the gospel of Jesus, it starts a little bit before that with John the Baptist. All right. For 400 years... There have been lingering prophecies, and yet nothing is happening. Dead silence. And we have this promise of a messenger. Isaiah 40 and Malachi 1, we have these, these promises, or excuse me, Malachi 3, these promises of this one who would come and would prepare the way for the Lord. Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, this Lord is not any other Lord. This is God. That God is coming, and there's a messenger who's going to proclaim that message beforehand. 
And so, verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. All right, John is supposed to be weird. John is weird for a reason. He's supposed to be weird because he's embodying like the whole Old Testament spirit and teaching. He is the last of the true prophets. And yet with John is the beginning of something and the end of something else. It's the end of the prophecy and the start of it actually being fulfilled. All of these lingering prophecies that have been kind of floating in the air in the Old Testament, they're starting to be fulfilled, starting with John, and John is bringing Jesus, and every promise is yes and amen in him. That's where we can't just say, yeah, just send Jesus onto the scene. Uh, That's just not how we do it. If a king comes, you don't just... uh, He doesn't just ride in and everyone's shocked. No, he sends a messenger who prepares the way so that people can can get excited and can prepare themselves. All right, there's always an opening act to every every concert. There's always a hype man. Uh, John the Baptist has come. He's hyping Jesus. And where does he do it? He does it out in the wilderness. Out in the wilderness. Now, why is it so important that he's out in the wilderness to call the people, we might think, you know what, it's, a, it's this harsh, horrible environment. Maybe that's why he does it. To bring everyone to despair. In some sense, yes. Uh, but the, the history of the Bible is uh, a little uh, surprisingly positive about the desert. As much as it's a place where everyone dies and there's no, nothing to drink or eat, uh, in the history of Israel, we see that that's the place where God and his people are probably the closest that they see day by day God's faithfulness. And they recognize day by day their their absolute dependence upon God. And that every every step, every, every move that they make, God is giving them life. And so John is kind of drawing them spiritually into that same situation, saying, you know what, in the desert, I want to remind you that you are also spiritually dependent on me day and day and day. That in your sin, you are desperate for mercy and for grace. And so come out into the desert. And they're kind of rehearsing this, uh, the story of Israel, the, the crossing of the Red Sea and the entering into the desert and the, the moving into the promised land. He's kind of reenacting the, the crossing of the River Jordan and moving into the promised land that needs to be redone because it, it's not good enough yet. They're an occupied nation, enslaved to the law, totally beholden to religious leaders who don't have real hearts of grace and mercy. And John is calling them back and he's saying, you know what, we're going to start something new. We're going to start real freedom, a real nation with a real king. It starts in the heart. And they're drawing him into the wilderness to start that new journey. Now, what's the best way then to, to prepare for this king? You would think that it would change, you know, let's, let's clean ourselves up a bit. Let's, let's put a new coat of paint on Jerusalem. Uh, 
No, what does he want? What is he calling them to? He's calling them to repentance. To repentance, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that's where, all right, our king, this king Jesus, uh, he's no, he knows far too much than to just say that we'll, we'll just clean ourselves up a bit and then he'll be pleased with us. Or you know what, let's just, uh, let's just try a little harder at the end here. No, he, he, John says, come to the wilderness to know your dependence, to know that you have nothing to offer this king but repentance and confession of sin. Now that is, kind of most commonly, that is the first step of the Christian life, is repentance and recognition of our sin. And that's the best way to prepare for the Lord. That oftentimes we think that the mature believer, you know, they, they've kind of grown beyond confession and repentance because they've, they've dealt with the sin, they've cleaned themselves up. The reality is, no, the, the mature believer is the person that sees sin everywhere. They see sin in every motive of their heart. They see it in uh, the things that drive them, that even in choosing to do certain things that, that they say are good, they recognize that it's not perfect, it's not clean, it's not the best thing oftentimes. So often we compromise, so often we are doing our Christian duty and exposed, exposed, uh, instead of enjoying Jesus from the heart. And so as we think about preparing ourselves to, to follow the king in this series, we should start by thinking, okay, what does it look like to repent and to confess our sins that Jesus might be uh, good news, one that we rejoice over, not just a ho-hum, bygone era that has passed us by. Yes, we've already received grace. We don't need any more. No, we... We desperately need it more and more and more. And as we prepare ourselves by confession and repentance, seeing the depths of our sin, we're inviting Jesus to come and to, to do his work more richly. Now, what is the work that Jesus then comes to do? We've prepared ourselves and... I think for John, you would think, you know, uh, okay, he's going to, maybe he's going to judge everyone. That's probably most likely. He's going to come with a sword and come on a horse and, and judge the world. That's why we're repenting. Or maybe uh, he's going to come and just baptize everyone immediately. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Fix them up. But now, what does he do? Verse 9, he comes to be baptized. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. All right, so the first thing we should notice of that is that uh, this is the person we've been waiting for. Uh, as evident by the Holy Spirit descending and the, the voice of God crying out from heaven. Just in case we missed that. Um, but then he comes, and he isn't first the baptizer, he's the baptized. We've already acknowledged that he is God here, so 
I want to clear some things. Why, why did Jesus come to be baptized? All right, it's not because he's had sin. It didn't, it's not that he had sin in his past. He, had, he was a wild teenager. No, no, he didn't have any sin to repent of. It also doesn't mean that this, is, this means that you don't, we don't have to repent, that I don't have to repent. That is part of the Christian life. It has always been part of the Christian life to see our sins and confess it, to hate our sin and grieve over it. But, just as, as Rock of the Ages just said, it said that, you know what, even if our tears forever fell, that wouldn't pay for our sins. That wouldn't be enough. And if there's any part of the Christian life where that we hold up and say, you know what, you have to do this part perfectly, uh, we would be totally and utterly lost. And so what Jesus comes to do, he comes to repent for us even as he calls us to repent. That our sin goes down even to our repentance, that we are blind to sin and we are apathetic to sin, that we don't really mourn it or we don't really hate it. And Jesus does. Jesus hates our sin far more than we ever will. And Jesus grieves over our sin far more than we ever do. And he sees our sin more deeply than we ever will and thankfully, it's not on us to just to hold up this perfect repentance, even repentance. We cannot do perfectly enough. And so Jesus comes to do it for us. That's the, that's the beauty of Jesus Christ coming as our king. What does he do? He sees us. He sees us just as we are. He sees us how desperately we need a, a savior, even a repenter. And he does it for us. Now, that's where I, I remind us. Um, just like we say that Jesus came to obey, so uh, our obedience doesn't earn any salvation, it doesn't mean we don't need to obey them. We don't say, well, then I, then I just don't have to do anything. In the same way, Jesus came and repented perfectly. That doesn't mean you don't have to repent. We're called to repent deeper, deeper and, and more fully because we know what Jesus has done. All right, uh, silly analogy for this. All right, so uh, the guys are going out for, uh, for their mandate. All right, so you get, get the guys together, and they're going to drink because they're good Presbyterians. All right, so they're off to the bar, and uh, they find out that what is, what is tonight? Tonight is 50% uh, off margarita night but it's guy time. And are you allowed to get a margarita? No, no. What's on the menu? Beer and bourbon. All right, maybe some whiskey if you're throwing that in. Anything else? No, it's, it's guy time. Come on. But you really want a margarita. And you're not really sure if you should get it. All right, and then Butch. One of the guys in your group, all right, he's a Green Beret. He's all tatted up. All right, he drives the biggest truck in Cecil County, has more guns in his gun locker than anyone. Uh, what does he order? He turns to that waitress and he says, you know what, I want a fruity tutti frozen daiquiri with extra whipped cream and don't forget the maraschino cherries. All right, what happens when, when he says that? All right, the doors have just been, been wide open. All right, you can get a margarita. You can get whatever you want. All right. 
There is no macho-ness here anymore. Uh, there's no fear. There's no judgment. Whatever. Now, that's what happens when Jesus Christ comes in to be baptized for sin. It's like, okay, if the perfect, the perfect one, who has far more righteousness than anyone, if he comes and he repents of his sin and is baptized vicariously for us, all right, we're not, stop pretending. All right, the, the show is over. We all know we're sinners. We all know that we can't do this. Jesus Christ has come. Let's repent of our sins and let's confess them for the joy of doing so. All right. We can let go of the act and we can say, you know what? Yes, Jesus says I have sin and I, I admit that I have it too. That's how we respond to the repentance of Jesus. We don't say, well, uh, I don't need to do it because Jesus has done it. We say, no, I get to do it with complete freedom and knowing that, you know what? Ultimately, I'm probably offering up 0.5% of the sin that's really there, and I'm probably not doing it wholeheartedly, but I offer it up knowing that Jesus Christ has done it perfectly, and he's given me a spirit so I can do it better, and he's sanctifying even my broken repentance. All right, that's the gospel. And I encourage you, like, find incredible freedom in your repentance and your confession. because it's a gift now to admit our sin and to give it to Jesus Christ, knowing that we are not called to have a righteousness of our own. We have a righteousness that was given to us by Jesus Christ. And Jesus then, he takes it, he takes it one step further. All right, if we, can't, if we can't repent well enough, all right, we also can't resist temptation well enough either. And so, uh, we kind of skipped over that Jesus Christ, he, when, he, when he did identify with his sin, what does God do? First, he gives Jesus the Holy Spirit. He gives Jesus the Holy Spirit so that Jesus would have the power to keep doing that same thing, to keep being identified with sinners, to keep walking in the place of sinners who could not possibly save themselves. And then, what does he do? He encourages his son. He looks at his son and he says, you know what? Well done. You are my son with whom I am well pleased. Why does he say that? He's, he's encouraging him. Notice, it's, it's, not for, it's not for us. We get to hear it and we get to see it, but this isn't a relationship between the father and his son and he's encouraging Jesus in his mission. Yes, keep going. Keep, keep saving your people. This is the path that I want you on. And as he fills Jesus with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then drives him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. All right. Why did Jesus need to go out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? Because time and time again, humanity has gone out in the wilderness to be tempted and has utterly failed. 
The first time they were in the garden, that shouldn't have even been that hard. Adam and Eve just didn't have to eat some fruit in a garden where there's plenty of fruit. Uh, Couldn't do that one. All right. Already failed from the get-go. All right. Then we have Israel. Israel in the wilderness. All right. They They were sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai. And literally, they could look up and see the glory cloud of God raining down lightning and fire from God. And what did they say? They said, you know what? I think God might have abandoned us. Maybe Moses is dead. Let's gather all of our earrings together and make a golden calf, and he'll save us. All right. Not good at temptation. And we think of, uh, all right, they're wandering in the wilderness, and what do they start to think? You know what? Maybe God just brought us out here to die. He's not going to give us any food or water. Or when he does bring food, he gives them day by day manna from heaven. What do they say? It would have been better if we went back to Egypt. At least they had onions and garlic. <laughs> the test of, of blandness. All right, they even lost that one. All right, we're terrible at this. Moses. Moses failed. He struck the rock he was supposed to talk to. David and Bathsheba. Messed that one up. Solomon, a thousand wives and concubines. He really messed that one up. Uh, Time and time again. All right, don't think that you're going to be the one exception. You're going to be tempted, and you're going to fail, and you're going to fall. And two options are going to be put before you, and they're going to say, you know what, you can have glory for God or glory for yourself, and we pick glory for ourselves. Or we say, you know what, you can, you can love people or you can love yourself, and we pick ourselves. We see opportunities where we can sacrifice and speak about Jesus and glorify his name, and instead we pick what's comfortable. All right, that's just the reality. I'm not saying this to make us feel bad. I'm just making us so so we can open our eyes and see, yes, we are attempted people and we have failed. And so Jesus comes and he comes into the wilderness and he's the only one that succeeds. He is the only one that has actually done it and he's done it for us. In the words of 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21, for our sake he made him, who, him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus comes, he comes as king, he comes and calls us to follow him, and then immediately what does he do? He earns righteousness for us and he takes our sins upon himself. That's our king. That's our king that is calling us to to follow him and to resist temptation and to keep fighting. Not because he thinks that we can have victory on our own, but because he knows he's already given us victory and he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. He has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us in every temptation, to empower us to confess our sins, knowing that Jesus has already done it.
Right, finally then, what does Jesus do? Jesus, as the last act of becoming sin for us, becomes the sin sacrifice on the cross. Dying for our sins, sins that we could never pay for without eternal damnation. And Jesus takes it for himself. As we think about following the king, that is our king. That is the king whose, whose sandals John was not fit to untie. And then what does he turn around and do? He starts washing his disciples' feet. And he's persecuted for his disciples. He is beaten and he is killed for his disciples, for us. That is the love of our great king. And as we think about following Jesus, recognize like, no, you're not going to follow him perfectly. You're not going to have perfect confession. You're not going to have a perfect life. You're going to be tempted and tried and fail. And that changes nothing about where you stand in Jesus Christ. And it's living out of that freedom, out of that assurance, that then gives us power to, to live and to follow. Let's live in that freedom, and let's start by confessing our sins that as we say, hey, Jesus is coming, it may be truly good news. Amen? Right. I forgot to say this last time, but uh, any questions? No? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has done what we could never do. He has lived the perfect life and he has died the death we should have died. And here we stand on the other side of it, righteous. Not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that you would encourage us and strengthen us. that you would remind us of the grace and mercy you poured out upon us in Christ, that we may uh, confess our sins and own up to them and, and see them as they are. And Father, that you would help us to, to love you more than we love sin, knowing that there is greater life in you than there will ever, ever be found in whatever temptation is before us. But most of all, Father, give us great freedom in Jesus to follow after our King, and to love Him and enjoy Him for all eternity and for the forever enjoying of the blessing that you are. We pray this in Jesus Christ's precious name.